short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty. Welcome back to the Cold War podcast with Ray and Cam. Uh, my name is Cam. Your name is Ray. Damn right. That makes me. Yeah. That makes me Ray. Yes, by default. Uh, yes. This is episode two hundred and forty-three. How are you? Yeah, it is, my little buddy. Uh, you know, yeah, doing okay. Okay. Don't tell anybody this, but in a couple of weeks, the kids go back to school. I gotta say, I'm pretty excited. A couple weeks after that, Heather goes back to school. So it's back to me in my underwear on the couch with a remote, my faithful Finn companion by my side, um, eating snacks all day long. So I, pretty good. How about you? This has you? a happy ending. <laughs> Every day is going to have a happy ending. Yeah, but I—that's self-induced. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so how, how are you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm really good. I'm I'm excited. We're we're sort of uh, doing a new series, uh, starting a new series yes. today. Um, yeah. We're 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 going to cover something that we've talked about, mentioned uh, probably a billion yeah. times over the course of our podcasting. <laughs> But we're going to go into right. it in more detail than we've ever gone into it before, yes. and this is Operation Damn. Ajax, the yes. overthrow of the democratically elected government of Iran by the evil Russians. Uh, no, wait, Ooh, scratch you, that. It yeah. was <laughs> it was by the evil Americans in 1953. Well, you, you say that. See, Operation Ajax, Ajax like the cleaner, we're going to clean up <laughs> Iran and all their wonderful oil and get the communists out there. <laughs> so that's why it's called Ajax, because it's the great clean of 1953, I think you'll find. The first country or, that uh, yes. was fortunate enough to, be, to have its <laughs> government overthrown by the CIA. <laughs> You got to start somewhere. You you know, there's always that first time. You know? <laughs> they broke their uh, coup virginity <laughs> in Iran in 1953. Um, yes, yeah, well, as a favor. We've we've talked about yeah. this. I think um, early. You know, we've mentioned it early in the Cold War. We've mentioned it on the bullshit filter. We, we've probably right. I've probably brought it up in every other show that we've ever done. I've squeezed it in <laughs> somehow because it's it's like it's a great story and yes and and it it. It can be used to sort of demonstrate things that are going on today. Any contemporary event Absolutely. where the U.S. is involved yeah. in overthrow, overthrowing, trying to overthrow a government of a country, and let's face it, when is the U.S. not trying to do that? Uh, because this is where it started, right. and of course, um, I don't think many Americans know the details in Iran. Of course, everyone knows this story. <laughs> Quite aware, they're quite aware. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Everyone knows. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, after yeah. you. Well, I was just talking to Heather about this, and uh, and and like you just said, a lot. I think a lot of Americans are, are not are not aware of this, and it's like, and I was like, honey, why do you think Iran hates us? And she's like, well, 
they have a different culture and a different religion and we don't see eye to eye. And uh, there's I'm sure there's a lot of tension in America could probably be more understanding. But basically, we're very different and they don't like us because of that. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's about what, with all due respect. I didn't tell her this because I don't want to sleep on the couch again. That's pretty much what I expected. So I said to her, what if I told you they it took them a very long time, hundreds of years, inching, inching, inching towards equality and, and democracy. They finally get a democratically elected government and we come along and we kneecap it. We don't, most, most Americans have no idea that that happened in 1953, but just like you said, in Iran, that is acute, they're acutely aware of this. So they have a very vivid reason for hating us that most Americans have no idea. They just assume that they hate us because we're the good guys in the white hat on the city on the hill and they're the bad guys who are blowing people up. So they're bad, we're good, that's why they hate us. That is what the average American thinks and that is what we're going to hopefully dispel over the next couple of episodes. I thought they hated you for your freedoms. Freedom or freedom love. <laughs> yeah, that too. Well, that, that's part and parcel of being the greatest nation uh, in the world. It's just, it's just part of it. It's just part of the magic that makes the U S the U S. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, probably other words in Iran, everybody knows that the United States yeah. put an end to democratic rule in 1953 and installed what became the long dictatorship of a, a chappy called Muhammad Reza Shah. <laughs> and look, it's, yeah. it's, I think it's pretty well known in the in the West today as well. Certainly, I think it's better known now than it was mm. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I first learned about this. Um, right. But it, it isn't that well known, as you just pointed out in your conversations yeah. with Heather. And if I asked Chrissy the, this question, yeah. she would probably just throw a knife at me because she's like. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Yes. Really? Can I? Can I give a caveat to what you just said? I think caviar? the information caviar. You're giving me caviar. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the caviar concessions later, but for right now, caveat. Keep telling me when um, you give me salty things in addition. Say here, eat this. Uh, yeah, no, trust me, it's it's buttery, fish eggs. I'm getting you um, ready like, for yeah. the big. Yeah, I'm like yeah, I'm not yeah, for Ray eggs, anything but anyway. any salty, <laughs> sticky and salty that you give me in a dish to eat. No, it's my own delicacy. Trust Ra me, Ra Ra it's ravia, ravia, ravia. <laughs> oh, we're gonna make so much money selling. I'm gonna have to eat a lot of protein and get a lot of sleep. Yeah. I can whip up a batch practically uh -huh. every day. If you, so, you know, if you yeah. uh, drink grape. Fruit juice. I think it it'll make it really? taste sweet. Yeah. Does that help? Mm. Oh well, anything I can do to help the customers. You know, I'm I'm bigger on customer service. No, but what you just said, a slight tweak. I think the information is more out there, and obviously with technology, with the internet, with uh, things like TikTok and every all that kind of stuff, it's out there. But as you can probably imagine, the average American doesn't go out and go, "Hey, let me fill a, let me fill in the gaps of my lack of knowledge in history or science." Or mathematics, or pretty pretty much anything else. So, does do more people know about it? Yes. Should more people than that know about it? Absolutely. And that's why we get paid the big bucks. I just remembered that yeah. years and years ago, I did a podcast with a couple of guys. Um, I think Mike Desev and Daniel Berwin. They did a graphic novel about Operation. Ajax. Oh, wow. Um, cool. And I had them on, I think, you know, G'day World or one of my old podcasts. 
Here we go. Right. Oh no, I had I did want to just play that. Two thousand. <laughs> I'm going back. To, I'm going back to bed. Just play that. Yeah, uh, it was. You know, I was really amazed at the time when it came out as a graphic novel. I did a podcast with an old listener of mine, Brad Heitman, aka Brad the Mormon, about um, <laughs> the Operation Ajax in 2012. Was it 11 mm. years ago before I met you? Uh, he had travelled to Iran yeah. in 2009 and we were talking about the history of Iran. Oh, here we go. 2011, No Illusions podcast number 43, Operation Ajax. Um, I had Daniel Berwin and Ash Iwaze, two of the guys behind the uh, – right. uh, it was it was an interactive uh, graphic novel for the iPad um, you know, oh, wow. you, you touch it and little things That's move impressive. like an animated thing. So, right. yeah, look, it's better known now than it has been. And the, the reason why it isn't very well known in the West is because the U.S. Mm -hmm. government denied it for decades. Yes. But yes. between when it happened so in 1953 and I think during the right. Clinton administration in the 90s was when the mm -hmm. U.S. finally – Acknowledge it. So for forty odd years they denied it. No, right. never happened. We weren't there. Never, never been to Iran. Yeah. Never known anyone who's been don't, to Iran. Don't know. Never heard of Iran. Never heard yeah. of it. No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Got no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Then finally yeah. in the nineties they went. Oh, I oh, yeah. Oh, Iran. Oh, Iran. 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 Oh. oh, yeah. No, we that that was us. And I ran so far away. Right. I thought you were doing flock of seagulls. <laughs> no, I. Yeah, no, oh, it was we a did tribute band. Yeah, no, no, it was that was we us. did. Yeah, we yeah. that we did do. Yeah, yeah we yeah. did do and that. And then we did a few more. Yeah, we. I mean, that it, went so we well. it, 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 it went so well. It went so well. We did uh, never stop. Mm. Yeah, I think you made this point because because yes, we we talked about this on the bullshit filter and other shows, but I think you made this point. And again, it, this is for the Americans out there. So. In 1953, British – and I'm not going to do any details, but I'm going to make a point. British ask for a favor because they can't pull it off for a lot of different reasons. The CIA is chomping at the bit. We depose a democratically elected government. We de destabilize the reason. Iranians hate us. And now Americans, taxpayers, get to spend – or the government gets to spend trillions of our dollars since 1953 defending us from a region that we fucked up broke, uh, and decentralized, and just threw, in, and threw into a skew. So the point is, we did this operation, it blew, it, it just really messed up the region and our history and a lot of people's history for decades, and we've had to spend tons of money, kill lots of people to defend ourselves from a nation that we wrongfully uh, treated. So again, this stuff comes back to bite you in the ass, and I would love to say that we've learned our lesson, but as you well, no, we have not, and we've, we've toppled numerous governments since 1953. But it was just that small investment compared to what we've spent since then, it's just incredibly sad that we're that short-sighted and stupid at the time. Uh, I, I would just take out the at the time bit there. <laughs> no, just edit that out. Mm. Just just mm. stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, you're right, you're right. But trillions of dollars have been lost because of this moment in history. And the Shah's dictatorship uh, directly mm. led to the Islamic Revolution in 1979. Um, yes. The you know the the storming of the U.S. embassy in Tehran, etc., cetera, right. etc. Cetera. And 
you know, the the um, theocracy of the Ayatollah Khomeini and everything that came out of that. Yeah. And just all of the tension that America's had with Iran uh, yes. since they overthrew the government in 1953. Uh, and yes. it, it not only upset the people of Iran, but it played a role in upsetting Islamic fundamentalists right across the world, yes. Middle East and throughout uh, Central Asia and Asia and all these places, because it it was one of many examples, but one of the most famous examples of the West, right. particularly the US, but with the support of their allies in the UK, et cetera, of interfering mm-hmm. in, yes. in the lives of Islamic people all around the world. And it's intensely interference, and it's inspired many anti-Western fanatics. Your your, your Osama bin Laden and your your ISIS, all those sorts of people. Mm -hmm. One of the grievances that they would point to if you sat down and had a hookah with them is uh, this sort of behaviour. Now, Americans seem to still struggle with understanding the sort of bitter hatred. That people in the Middle East mm-hmm. have towards the United States because they don't really know or understand in detail what the CIA did there in 1953 with the overthrow of Mohammad Mossadegh was the name of the leader of the Iranian government. Mm-hmm. And at the time, in the 50s, in the early 50s, he was a, a huge figure in International yes. affairs, geopolitics. Absolutely, every yes. people everywhere knew his name. Um, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I went back this week through New York Times archives and newspapers.com and was just reading a lot of the stories that were being published in Western media about Mohammad Mossadegh. Uh, people really knew, you know, a lot about him. He he was a really um, electrifying figure. Very smart, right quite old, very educated, very erudite. Um, who is the um, leader of Iran today, Ray? Oh, God. Um, nope. 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 Shit. Nope. Nope. Gone. Nope. Yeah. Nothing. What? Who, who is? Who, no. Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. Oh, my God. No, I used to, I knew the name when, we, when Trump pulled us out of the uh, – the agreement, and now it's gone because I'm an American and I didn't. I don't need it this week, so I don't know the name. Who is in charge? Well, it depends. You know, dep- oh, just- <laughs> it's conditional. Yeah, it depends on what time of the day you're asked. Yeah. No, give me some names or give me explain that to me. Well, the you, I say it's it's a religious um, theocracy, as I said before. Right. So the president of Iran. Mm-hmm. Is uh, currently a man by the. I'm going to get this uh, terrible. I'm going to get this wrong. Good. Yeah. Good. Ibrahim um, <clears throat> Raisi. Ibrahim Raisi had um, mm-hmm. one of our listeners uh, from Arizona, I think, a university student in Arizona who's right. studying Arabic, uh, sent me a lovely email. Said that I need to work mm-hmm. on my um, Arabic pronunciation of things, and I said, "Listen, you know, my wife, yeah. an American, always tells me that Americans are allowed to pronounce English words however the fuck they want." Uh, Damn right. So I take that same Damn attitude right. towards everything. I'll I'll pronounce it <laughs> every language any way I fucking want because yes. that's the American way of doing yes. it. Well, I 
I can top that. Not only can I pronounce it any way I want, if I decide to change the pronunciation several times within the same episode, don't say shit to me. That's my God-given white Jesus right. All right? You've been told. Anyway, the reason I say it depends on who you ask is he's the president, right? He's the president, but the supreme leader is right. the Ayatollah Khomeini. Khomeini. Yeah, right. not Khomeini. It was Khomeini in the nope. in 1979. Now it's Khomeini. Then, yeah, Khomeini replaced Khomeini in 1989, <laughs> and um, he's still going. Right. You know, he's uh, – wow. how old is Good he, man? Him. Like uh, he must be like That's a thousand years yeah. old. Born 1939. Okay, so yeah, he's getting up there. My God, he's getting up there. Maybe, maybe being the religious leader is that anyway. uh, Abdullah. Yeah, my point is that you don't even know the name of the president, but everyone knew who Muhammad Mossadegh was in the early 50s. That's kind of hurtful. Time Magazine chose him as the Man of the Year in 1951, and that's who. That's bullshit. Who else were they going to choose? Well, there's nobody else. There was, you know, these guys you probably never heard of: uh, Winston Churchill, <laughs> Harry Truman, no. Dwight Eisenhower. No. But they went, no, Who? no, no, never heard, of, never heard of them. Mossadegh. We're going to select Muhammad Mossadegh. Um, <laughs> and this was back when being Time Man of the Year meant something. Uh, yes, now. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Who the fuck? I've cares? had it twice since then. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, he was an like you said, he was seriously though. We joking uh, joking around, but he was an international figure, and there were a lot of people, especially in the West, uh, who I think maybe you know wished him well because it, it, it's finally a representative government. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, this will be the spread of something. So there were a lot of people who, at the very least, not the CIA, obviously, wished that you know. Ho- hopefully, he had a successful run. I don't know about but that. We'll never know. Yeah, I don't know that many people in the West wanted him to have a successful run. It's because they were being um, propagandized the by the Western media. Right, yes. And the fact that he was yeah. Time's Man of the Year isn't because Time thought he was a great bloke. Let me point that out. I've read the article. Right. It was a terrible uh-huh. piece of journalism. Um, he was right. he was shaping news. That's how they were selected. Influential. Yes. Exactly. Very influential for good or for, right. <laughs> for good or for bad. Right. Uh, right. And this is bef- just before, you know, um, the year before uh, he was overthrown by the CIA at the behest of the British government, as you indicated yes. before. And wine but bitches. you know, it set a pattern. The over the the, yes. the demonization of Mossadegh and mm-hmm. of Iran in general by Western media. And then the overthrow of his government and the denial of U.S. and British involvement uh, set sort of a right. pattern, it established a pattern that has yeah. really shaped the way that I think most people in the West see countries that the West has a tense relationship with and, and gets involved with, including yeah. Russia today. It's the same pattern that's been repeated over and over and over again since 1953. Demonize yeah. the the people of the country, demonize the leadership of the country, uh, intervene in the overthrow of that government and install mm-hmm. or at least attempt to install a friendly government so you have more control right. over their markets, their economy, get access to their resources, get them to buy your shit that you make, et cetera, et cetera, get them to support you in your um, 
ambition for global hegemony. Uh, yeah. This is kind of where, from at least from an American perspective, it all started. Uh, you know, we've talked yes. on the show endlessly over the last few years about America's involvement in Korea and, uh, you know, Vietnam and uh, all these other sorts of conflagrations that were going on in the late 40s, early 50s after World War II. But this is the mm-hmm. this is the big one. This is the mama. This is really where yes. it all came together Mama and Bear. set yeah. the trend. So, and one point to make here is obviously this happened 1953, um, right. at, towards the end of the, the the Korean War. So that America's just been through the whole Korean War thing, and then yeah. and now, now one of the interesting things about this was again. this is where they figured out. Oh, hold on, to influence what's going on in a country. We don't actually right. need to put boots on the ground. We can just spend oh, a shit ton of money, yeah. get other people to yeah. die, uh, right. but My favorite. to achieve our objectives. Yeah. Hold on, let me get Zelensky on the phone. Um, <laughs> we don't actually need to send troops. You know, it's it's far it's bad for morale. Yes, and it, like it's yeah. just inconvenient when you have all of this media coverage of American boys coming yeah. home in body bags. Coffins, yeah, yeah, the coffins. Yeah, let's not do that again. Wouldn't it be yeah. actually a lot cooler if we could get what we wanted yeah. by getting other people to die, but just not Americans, yeah. right? You can spend a lot of money, but relative to spending for a war, much cheaper. Mm. It's a good investment to get others to do your fighting for and you. And let's face it, it's fine. not our money. It's other. Yeah. It's 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 the it's taxpayers' tr- money. True, you know, no, that's true. We get all it's the profit. Better. None of the right, downside, right? You know, exactly. And could I just say real quick? We've mentioned time and time again on various shows. You know, China was nitpicked by European powers for years, uh, decades, and then when they got their act together, they're like, "We're gonna." There's a there's a term that they use. I can't remember what it is, but something like. It's something like the eternal shame. I can't remember the exacting phrase, but but now China's like, we don't take shit off anybody. Afghanistan is getting to the point, we don't take shit off anybody. And Iran now, because certainly because in a big part what happened in 1953, Iran is like, we don't take shit off anybody. We can't trust you. You did this to us. And it's and we would do the same thing. It's it's completely normal. It's human nature. Once you've been messed with enough to go, that's it, no more. We're not taking your crap anymore. And so, yes, Iran is very antagonistic towards us. They have a right to be. Yeah. So let's, in our in our way, let's take a little bit of a look at... Go back to the dinosaurs. Iran- no, no, you, you go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> take a little bit of a look at Iranian history. Because as you sort of hinted at earlier... The Iranians uh, went to a lot of effort to try and get some democracy in their country. Only to it took ha- a while. <laughs> it, it took a while, a couple hundred years, yeah. So. Only to have it uh, stolen away from them. So yes. we're not going to go back to the dawn of time. We, I mean, we have done a bit no. of that. If you go back and listen to, I think, the bullshit, the first bullshit filter episodes where we were talking about the war in Syria, we went back oh, yeah. to Muhammad and we <laughs> explained... The, yeah, let's not uh, the yeah. <laughs> the fracturing of Islam into Sunni and Shia. Iran, of course, today is the, the most dominant Shiite country. And mm-hmm. if you want to understand all of that, go back and listen to our bullshit filter series on the war in Syria that we did six or seven 
years ago. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, something like that. In terms of Iran, yeah. we're, we're going to start this one in the 1700s, the late 1700s, when there was uh, there was a sort of a civil war that went on in what is now known as Iran, then was known in the West as Persia. A lot of chieftains, yeah. that kind of a thing. Yes. And a, a, a Turkic tribe from the around the Caspian Sea region, the Qajars, mm-hmm. basically won that civil war and unified the country into Iran. And the Qajar dynasty in Iran was founded by a guy called Aga Muhammad Khan Qajar. Good name. Good name. It is a it is a great name. Um <laughs> Aga Khan. Aga Khan. What? Aga, Aga Khan. Khan. Aga Khan. <laughs> Tell me about Aga Khan. Yeah, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Related to Shaka Khan. Right. Uh, from distant, the from the eighties, nineties. When was Shaka Khan? Oh, late seventies 70, and definitely the eighties. Shaka Khan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, something like that. She's still still around, Shaka Khan. Seventy years her. old. Yeah. For her. yeah. So, but anyway, you know, there there was a lot of infighting. There's a lot of chieftains. There's a lot of neighboring tribes that came in. I think the Afghans actually came in and took over. So before the first Qajar uh, Shah arrives, you're right. There's a lot of infighting, but he begins. He establishes this dynasty, and he begins the organization expansion. The influences of uh, a little bit of foreign foreigners in there, but yeah, this is the beginning of trying to make something permanent last, and not just to be taken over next week by whatever latest tribe happens to come over the hills. His reign is remembered for a number of things, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of uniting Iran. He also reintegrated the Caucasian territories that Persia had lost, like Georgia. Georgia right. yeah. was also part of Iran, didn't uh, last long, like his life, didn't last long after he took it. Right. Paul I of Russia took it so, a couple of years later. So hell no. Are you yeah. watching the TV show The Great no, not right now. Oh man, you should be watching the great. You haven't have you seen any of the great? I have. Um I want to kick him in the nads every time I see him. She and I can't wait for her to take over. But uh you know, I, I haven't seen much of it. Oh, it's great. I think it's on Hulu in the US. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's on Stan in Australia. Right. Um not ba- Barry and Stan, that's Barry and Stan's <laughs> TV station. Here. It's just called Stan. <laughs> They got their own TV channel here. Uh, it's great, but Paul the First of Russia is a baby in right. this uh, son of Catherine the Great. Ah, mm. so Aga also was uh, famous for being a eunuch monarch. He got right. castrated at the age of six. I'm out. Right? Yeah. Bef- Did you Before look the- up that story? I knew that he was captured by uh, a different Shah or someone who was the Shah at the time and said, yeah, I don't need any competition from you. So snip, snip. But that's kind of all I know. Yeah, as part of the the sort of civil war that was going on when Aga was a boy, right. uh, I think it was it was one of his relatives. It was like a cousin. That, Family squabble. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That captured, killed his like father, captured him, was gonna kill him. Somebody right. convinced him, look, don't kill him, just, no, just uh, chop, his, chop his nuts off. Right. So the he next did, worst thing. Yeah. Age yeah. of six. And hence, for the rest of his life, he was obviously childless, but also 
diminutive like somebody oh. I won't mention um, who's also on this podcast. <laughs> Apparently, from a distance, right? like you, he was often mistaken for a young boy, even when he was a fully grown man. Oh, um, that, that pissed happens. him off no end. You can relate to all of this, okay. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Very touchy subject, uh, and thank you for only bringing it up once a week. I really appreciate that kind of control. I normally mention it more than once on a show. <laughs> He That's was a, he was a very very small man, and right. you know we know that small men have oh, lots they're, they're, they're of anger worst. issues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't he wasn't yeah. a nice guy. Well, uh, see, I'm only small. He was small and nutless, very angry. I'm sure he had a lot to complain. You know what you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. He was assassinated in 1797, less than three years after taking power. Yes. And this is a great fucking story. Did you read this story? Uh, no, please tell me. He had taken the city of Shusha, which is sure. now in Azerbaijan, captured it. He's in his tent one night. Sure. Uh, and a quarrel broke out between two of his servants. They started yelling and screaming. I hate it when He's the like, servants fight. Jeez. Can you Go guys ahead. shut the fuck up? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to grow a set of balls here. Yeah. <laughs> you know I don't have any balls. It, it, it really means I don't have, <laughs> I've got a very low. <laughs> it doesn't take much to set me off. Just <laughs> yeah. could you come the fuck down, please? Yeah. And they they yeah. wouldn't they wouldn't calm down, so he oh. ordered both of them to be executed. Damn right. Now, some people might say that's a little bit of an overreaction, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, people who say that didn't yeah. have their balls chopped off when they were six. They don't really yes. know yes. what it's like. So <clears throat> the, here's the problem, though. He ordered them right. both to be executed, but it was uh, a Friday night when all of this happened, which was right. – the holy day in yeah, you Islam. Don't, you don't do that. Yeah. So he was like, "Listen, um, yeah. here's how. It's, here's the deal. Right. Right. I'm going to have you both executed, but I can't do it until tomorrow. Yeah. So hold on. Uh, right. Just get get back to work. <laughs> but quit yelling. That's number one because that's what started yeah. this whole fucking thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Get get back to work. Finish your duties. When you're done, uh, <laughs> report to me. I'll have you executed. Yes, yes. It kind of reminds me of, you know, I don't know if this has ever happened to you because I know that you're, you know, you, you you don't have much of a track record of employment. But um, I have had situations in my, you know, back when I had a job uh, right. where you would be told, called in and said, look, we, we've got to let you go. Uh, we're going to give you two weeks' notice. Just keep working hard for the next two weeks. Oh, and I'm yeah. Like, yeah, I yeah. don't think I'm going to do a great deal for the next two weeks. In fact, I am going to spend all of my time downloading your entire client database uh, nice. so I can you know, shop it around when I when I leave here yeah. because fuck you, you know. Yeah. Um, so these guys were like, you know, they got together. Like they hated each other. That's why they were quarreling. Right. But you know, uh, the enemy, enemy of my, my enemy. enemy, enemy is my <laughs> friend, kind of thing. Yeah, so <laughs> we've synced, we've synced. Sorry, <laughs> they 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 put their heads together, 
Literally. And they said, uh, well, you know, we could finish could. our work right. and get and executed tomorrow. Right. That's or, option one. He, he, hear yeah. me out here. <laughs> call me crazy. Call me stupid. But <laughs> why don't we just murder this cunt? And, right. <laughs> yeah. and then run away. And, or whatever. So they know. did. That's what they did. When he was sleeping yeah. that night, they stabbed him to death. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, so not the look, greatest administrator. Right, midgets not the best, yeah. not the best no. strategy. Uh, no. Despite the no. fact that he conquered all of Iran and Georgia and Azerbaijan, right? Um, not, not you know, it wasn't wasn't at his best that night. It wasn't the best idea no, that he ever no. had. No, follow through. De- the devil's in the details. Uh, you know, I we've come up fine. with lots of we've come up with lots of rules over the years <laughs> of their shows. Really? Rule number one: never attend a party that's being held in your own honor. Uh, Rule number two right. is don't forget rule number one. Rule right. number three, <laughs> I think, is um, if uh-huh. you if you if you say you're going to execute someone, sure, sure, yeah, don't let them roam <laughs> around freely until yeah. the execution yeah. happens. I put them yes. in chains, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well- not unlike not giving you a two-week notice before we fire you so you can fuck with them. You don't give someone like an eight or ten hour, hey, come tomorrow, uh, I'm killing you. Uh, but for now, <laughs> stay the dedicated, loyal employees that you are. Thank you for all that you do. You, yeah. you don't give them time. So rule number three mm-hmm. is don't threaten to kill someone and then give them time to react. You pretty much want to mm-hmm. announce it and then do it, or even better, mm-hmm. announce it while you're doing it. Uh, he, yeah. he, he faux, faux pas. Faux pas. Faux pas. Yeah. <laughs> faux pas it. Yeah. Rule number one is actually D back. Rule number two it's, should be go. don't attend a party in your own. Rule need number a three t-shirt with these if you're going to execute someone, don't tell them about it or, or yeah, put them in jail. Yeah. So anyway, he was succeeded. It. He was succeeded yeah. by his nephew, Fath Ali Shah Qajar. Yes. And he wasn't much better. So under the Qajars yeah. uh, in, the, in the 1800s, uh, Iran kind of just stagnated. The, these Qajars weren't weren't really right. know, the, the enlightened despots that uh, you would hope for. No. N- meanwhile, Iran then as now was in a strategically interesting part of the world. Right. There were two great imperial powers then as now that kind of fancied Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ooh, la la. One of those was Britain, and the sure. other was uh, the Russia, the the right. Imperial Russia. Yeah, because uh, Iran was kind of stood in the middle of a lot of things that were of interest to Britain and Russia. Well, unfortunately, um, the way the British, when they would get to India, their greatest and most beloved and richest uh, part of their colony, uh, their empire, they when they traveled by land, it would be through or across Iran. And they're like, well, it would be great if we can have some telegraph lines. It's not telephone, but telegraph lines so we can communicate a lot faster. And plus, we can travel that way. So if we could either directly control or have great influence over this country, this region, whatever you want to call it, that would be good for us. Uh, and as we know, London is not a great respecter of other people's uh, borders flags, customs, or traditions. So Britain is like, 
we need to be able to get through this as fast as we can or communicate through it to get to our uh, crown jewel, India. And like you were saying a second ago, Russia, I mean, when it comes to Iran, Russia is a big, huge chunk of land on the southern border of Russia. Security demands that Russia either have a say-so or know what's going on or at least be able to influence the events inside Iran for their own security. And of course, as we always talk about when Russia comes up, uh, warm water ports. Yes. If you can get critical, you know, if you can get easy access right mm-hmm. down through Iran to the coast of the Arabian Sea, you have warm water ports, and you right. can you know yeah. do all trade, the good trade, stuff trade. that you can do. Trade, yeah. trade, trade. Yeah. yeah. Could I so, could I just mention yeah. real quick? I apologize, again just to give a context. So the second Shah who ruled from 1797 to 1834, he is so bad at what he does. Again, he's you know he's the nephew, so he gets it by the fact that his uncle's dead and he's, and he's childless. He's not a very good administrator. He kind of focuses on his own pleasure, which is a theme. In the next couple of shows, these guys really love looking out for number one themselves and or their penis. And so by the time he dies in 1834, the the country, the government, the the governmental apparatus is pretty much on the verge of falling apart. He's lost lands to Russia. There's economic problems. Their, Their military is weak. And everybody who either has contact with the outside world or when foreigners come, they can see just how far behind they are when it comes to technology, not just military technology, but literally technology that can improve your way of life. Iran is just falling further, or excuse me, Persia is just falling further and further behind. And they're thinking to themselves, we don't have the best leaders, but a part of our religion, part of our faith, part of our culture is to be good followers of whoever's in charge. But that idea is going to be tested. Yeah, there's also a fundamental tenet of Shia version of Islam that mm-hmm. rulers should be just, rulers should oh, be good. That sounds weird. Yeah, I know. It's hard for you to fathom, but... Uh, and the Qajars were none of those things. Um, exactly. They were – look, it's good to be the king, don't get me wrong. <laughs> and they they were just enjoying being kings and kind of just Boy, expected that the Iranian people would just go along with whatever they said. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it didn't really work out. Big mistake, uh, big, huge, as they say. So the people started to rise up and it all came to a head around 1891, with something known as the Tobacco Revolt. Right. Now, we love tobacco, Ray. You and I both love, love tobacco. Love it. Love it. Right. Love it. Yes. Love tobacco, but only the good shit, like cigars, you know. Exactly. Little, little puff, finely <laughs> aged tobacco right. out on the deck. Yep. It's, nothing is better. Nothing is nothing. better than a nice cigar. Yeah. Tobacco is awesome. And, and the Iranian people, then as now, Love their tobacco. Deeply, yes. deeply love their tobacco. It's a part of their relax. Exactly. I mean, most of their lives suck. At least you can have a couple of minutes with a good cheroot or whatever the proper term is in Iran. But yeah, but that was that was very important to their being able to relax at the end of a very shitty day. Particularly if you're one of the Shah's wives. <laughs> now, in December 1891, the Shah's, Shah's wives vowed to give up smoking, not for health reasons. No. It was a political protest. Now, you know, being one of the, the Shah's wives, right? being as part of his harem, yeah. harem, yeah. 
Yes. They didn't have a lot to do. Now, how many wives <laughs> did this Shah, Nasir al-Din Shah, right. have at this point in time, Ray? Um, let's see, one, then there was Betty, two, you carry the two. 1,600? <laughs> 1,600 wives and concubines yes. he had. Yes. Now. Uh, wow. Yeah. Now, you've been known to have sex occasionally, right? right. So, sometimes um, with other people. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes with your, your wife, um, right. your current wife. Um, when Daniel now, was on vacation. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, how many times a day can you... Do it, Ray. What's the what's 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 your record? How many okay, okay. times a day have you done it? Uh, if it's okay with you, I'm going to answer this scientifically because I don't want to be gross because that's not who we are. Um, we're gentlemen. Um, if you just go by uh, the orgasm, the big O, or in my case, the little O, uh, I'd say two, two and a half, maybe like an attempt. Like the third one would be like mostly air, like <sighs> instead of semen. But you know, it depends. <laughs> and it depends on who the partner is. You know, it's just a just just a bubble. <laughs> that's all a that's bubble. left. Yeah. <laughs> <Dick> <laughs> so, so the third, the first one was like, oh yeah. The second was like, oh, and the third was like. <sighs> Two and a half. I think. Uh, yeah. I, I think I probably went five rounds okay. once. Um, nice. Right. All with one woman. This is in New York many years ago with this yeah. Korean. Well, yeah. Just sort of sex machine. Um, <laughs> I once did it three times with three different women. Once in the morning, once at lunchtime, and once in the right. evening. Which oh, with your meals. I was happy with. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but. Let's say, right? Um, you yeah. know, on Nap an average time. day, if you're a shah, you you, right. you you do it twice a day. Yeah, you got yeah. sixteen hundred wives and concubines to work your way through. That means if you do two a day, it's going to take you eight hundred days, if I don't roughly die. two right. years to get back mm-hmm. to the first two. So you do <laughs> Betty and Stacy today. It's going to take you two years to get to back be, to Betty and yeah. Stacy. Which one's Betty? Which one's Stacy? I'm sorry. Don't get, don't give me that look. It's been two years. Come on, cut me some slack. <laughs> cut Daddy some slack. You know what I'm saying? Uh, now they don't. So the other fifteen hundred and ninety-eight, uh, they're not getting banged. And let's no. face it, you know when they are getting banged, it's like a minute, and he's done, and he's gone to right. sleep. Yes. What Just do they do with the rest sleep. of their time lounging nice. around? They smoke. They, they smoke. smoke. And they enjoy it. Yeah. And they're probably smoking hookers or water pipes, right. uh, which is delightful. Yes. So by by renouncing smoking in December of 1891, they were actually defying the Shah. Now, yes. you know how bad it can be. You, you mentioned earlier on, you have one wife. Right. And you piss her off. Constantly. And you have to sleep on the lounge. Yes, yes, yes. Couch. Yes, yes. If you piss off all 1,600 of your wives, yeah. where, where, what do you do? Like how bad <sighs> is that going to get? I probably end up in the tub with a pillow and a blanket. Uh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm allowed to sleep inside at all. 
But yeah, no, so they were literally defined their own master. And if I could give this some background real quick, and I'll make this quick. Like you said, it's 1891, and Nasser, who was the Shah then, sells the Iranian tobacco industry for the sum of 15,000 pounds, which, yes, is a lot of money uh, back then in 1891. But you, you get the feeling the British are going to come out ahead on this. So under the, con- ter- uh, the terms of this condition, the concession, excuse me, once he signs this, every farmer in Iran, now try to picture this for a second. This is really going to piss off the locals. Every farmer in Iran who grew tobacco was required to sell it to the British Imperial Tobacco Company. And every smoker in Iran who bought this had to buy this at a shop where the British got a part of it. So this isn't just smoking. This isn't just whatever. This is literally fused into their culture. This is something they take very seriously. And now the British have all but taken it over. And the only one that benefits is the Shah everybody's pissed and his own concubines say, fuck this, we're not going to do this anymore. And there was actually a religious uh, leader, Shizari, who who literally say, put out a fatwa. As long as foreigners own the tobacco industry, you know, uh, smoking it will constitute the defiance of the 12th imam, which we don't have to go into or we can. But the point is, he put out a religious order, no more smoking. And guess what? As far as I can tell, a majority, I don't know how many exactly, but a majority of the people in this country quit smoking and it pissed off the Shah and you know it pissed off the British. Yeah, so this Shah at the time, Nazir al-Din Shah, oh, by the way, getting back 1,600 wives, you know yes, if you have yeah. women yeah. over a certain age who all live together, their, right. their oh, cycles, the week, their that cycles week. sync up. Yeah. No, Can I you imagine 1,600 leave. women? All on their period at the same Bloating, time. crying, and, eating all the chips. And no tobacco. They're going no tobacco. into tobacco withdrawals. <laughs> you know, anyone who's given up cigarettes, they're in tobacco withdrawals and yeah. uh, they're you, all on their period. 1,600. I would be like getting that. He yeah. he did like to travel a lot, Nasir right. al-Din Shah, yes. uh, and he now traveled. we know why. Like I would get the fuck yeah. out of the country. Well, you know I'm a very, really caring uh, compassionate husband. So, so when they quit smoking, I would walk in and go, "Hey, anybody want to smoke a cock?" Uh, and then I would leave to Europe. <laughs> no, he went to Europe what, like three times or something like that. But, uh, but for these ladies who literally have nothing to do, they have a life of pleasure, and this is one of the big parts of their pleasure to give it up. That is indicative of how pissed off the Iranian or the Persian people were at the time at the Shah and foreign influence, and that's only going to grow. Now, at the time this Shah had been on the peacock throne, a.k.a. the sun throne, for more than 40 years, why was it called the sun throne, Ray? Oh, all I know is didn't someone long ago, hundreds of years ago, go to India or somewhere in India and steal their throne and they brought it back and they called it? That's literally all I know, and I hope at least that part is correct. But I do not know. Half correct. So yes! um, I'll take it. There's photos of this. You can go and look at it online. The Sun Throne, it, it was massive, this thing. It was more like a a stage than just not like a chair. Right. This thing was okay. like a massive platform that Fancy it would toilet. sit on and that have right. ceremonies on and that kind of thing, staircase leading up to it. Um, it had a sun on it, behind it, like a big uh, sun sculpted right. into it, so that's why it was known as the thun- Sun Throne. It cool. was also known as the Peacock Throne, and there are two theories on this. Number one, his wife, one of his wives, one of his 1,600 wives, 
right. was uh, Tavu Kanum Taj Odola, which apparently translates to Lady Peacock. Sure. Uh, sure. Better than Sorry. Lady Marmalade, um, <laughs> which was her original yes. name. I agree. I concur. But, yes, uh, much earlier in the early 1700s, they had invaded India and taken the Mughal peacock throne and some of it had been built into this throne, ah. so there might have been some connection there. Right. Um, now, like other Qajar rulers, Nazir al-Din Shah was known for his love of excess. Uh, not only did he have 1,600 wives and, and consorts, but with mm-hmm. them he fathered hundreds of princes, all of whom had yeah. free access to the national treasury, oh, all of whom loved to live large. I mean, imagine Prince Charles, Harry, and the other one. Right. Um, <laughs> just, but hundreds and hundreds of them just yes. living, living off the, the national treasury. The national teat. You know. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they needed he had, more money coming in. Gotcha. His palaces had just jewels all over them. He would go right. to Europe with a huge entourage whenever his wives went on the periods. Um, when yeah. he went to Europe, he insisted on being called the Shah of Shahs, the Asylum of the Universe, Subduer of Climate. Sure. We could use him around about now. <laughs> Arbitrator of his people, guardian of the flock, conqueror yeah. of lands, and shadow of God on earth. So Damn. he was nothing point. if not humble. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the same things I make you call me on payday. Yeah, before he we actually, yeah, yeah. He, he, now he actually had passed a lot of reforms in the early part of his rule, yes. but at some point seems to have given up. He reminds me a bit of um, Tiberius, you know, who right. early on in his just rule broke him, just broke just, him. Yeah, yeah. after some point, just, he was just like, you know what, yeah. fuck this shit, it's too well, hard. I'm going to go get laid. Yeah, if I could real quick, because the, what happens to Nasir happens to the Shahs that come happened to the Shahs before him and happens to the Shahs after him. So it's a very delicate line that he has to uh, to balance himself on. What it is, is he wants to make reforms, but in order to make reforms, you have to kind of go against the establishments or the people who are benefiting now. You've got clerics, you've got business interests. So what he has to do on one hand the idea of reforms, the idea of modernization, advancing technology in your country is great. But in order to do it, you have to have a lot of power under yourself and you have to at times be cruel. So it's like, I want to do good things, but I have to be able to do them in bad ways to achieve good things. And so a lot of people in in uh, Persia throughout the years didn't really understand that because they are just killing people. They're just torturing people. This one particular guy, and this is my favorite, he flogs some of the people who stand up against him. He shoots them out of cannons. I'm sorry, but I'd love to see that on YouTube. He burns some people alive and other people he just sets fire in public squares. So he's got to be cruel to be kind. But you're right. He was legitimately trying to modernize his country. It was just a very painful process because he was very heavy handed as he was doing it. In, uh, and again, this reminds me of Tiberius. Um, remember Tiberius when he first said, fuck all y'all, I'm going to my sex palace. <laughs> right. He installed uh, basically one of his um, bodyguards, Sejanus, C- Sejanus as his guy in Rome and he was we think probably executing 
Tiberius's policies or what he thought would have been Tiberius's policies, and he was pretty brutal about it. And yeah. when public discontent rose to a certain level, Tiberius <laughs> went, what? Oh, what? what? What's He's going doing, on here? I am yeah. shocked. I am. Sh- I had no and idea. I was needing threw him under the bus. Had right. Sejanus executed? Well, uh, Nasir learned from that. He he knew his Roman history. In right. 1852, he executed his chief minister, who was a fairly famous Persian reformer, Amir right. Kabir. Had go. him executed for upsetting the people. But it, it you know, this is you know, you're right in saying that. This has been the struggle with all kings and uh, rulers throughout mm-hmm. the ages and continues to be so today. If you if you want to uh, reform your country, if you want to bring about change, right? Uh, typically it's going to upset the people that are benefiting from things the way they are. When when yeah. Fidel Castro, uh, uh, you know, overthrew the corrupt government of Cuba, there That's were right. going to be people that were going to be upset about that because they were the yeah. people that were doing well under the Batista dictatorship. Yeah. You're always going to upset somebody, usually the the bourgeoisie, the upper middle class, right. the elite, the nobility, the priests, as you say. You, by bringing about reform, you're going to upset this this top tier of people that have money and resources, and it's the same thing today. Like if you want to bring about change, you're going to upset business leaders, political uh, political leaders who are getting their money from business leaders. You're going to upset religious leaders. And it's a delicate balancing act that any reformer needs to walk along. You know, they need yes. to figure out how do I – that's why change and reform is obviously uh, usually pretty slow because you yeah. have to do it little by little so you don't upset trip, trip. too many people too quickly. Right. Uh, now, Nazir al-Din Shah uh, partly did this in the way that many rulers have done before. He would sell jobs to people. Right. You know, to raise money but also to surround himself with people who owed him one. Yes. So we, we saw this in ancient Rome, you know, I know when Augustus came to power, he stacked mm-hmm. the Senate with hundreds of people yeah. that had become rich enough to get a Senate seat on the back of the Pax Augusta, right? So Yes, yes. It's the same sort of deal, partly. You know, he did it to raise money too because he had fairly lavish tastes. Right. But – Also, I think it's a pretty clever strategy. You know, if you surround yourself with people that owe you one, hopefully you're you're securing your position a little bit. But he also did the classic things of confiscating the fortunes of wealthy merchants, imposing a lot of taxes. Yeah. And when there was no money left for him to take from his own people, he started raising cash by selling off the country's assets to foreign Jesus. companies and governments. But yeah. there were other factors involved here. It's not just he was a cunt, he was trying to make money. <laughs> right. Iran had been defeated in wars against Imperial Russia in mm-hmm. 1813 and 1828, against the British Empire in 1857. Yes. And as part of the peace negotiations – he had to grant concessions to mm-hmm. all of these foreign powers. And, of course, 
you know, there's uh, there were never-ending potential threats from these countries that were far more powerful than yes. Iran was. So, well, you know, uh, again, this goes on today. Give us access, like this is confessions of an economic hitman, right? <laughs> exactly. Give us access to your natural resources or else yeah. we'll send in guys with guns and, and yeah. uh, you know, it's not going to end well for you. Exactly. There's a saying that wars are expensive. Losing wars are even more expensive. And like you said, you have to give up things. And just to give just to give the listeners an idea, this is how he's able to piss off not just certain groups in his country, but pretty much across the board. The mineral prospecting rights, he sells to the British. The right to uh, establish banks, I think we can all agree it's a kind of a big one. He sells that to the British. The right to navigate the only navig navigatable, that doesn't sound right, the waterway in Iran, he sells to the British. The Cavalier Fisher, the Cavalier shit, the Caviar Fisheries, he sells to the Russians. So he's selling stuff left and right. And I wish I could say he's taking that money and he's investing it in his country. No, he's trying to keep his 1,600 women and concubines, wife, his, uh, his son's happy. Uh, the guards, you got to pay the guards or they'll turn on you. So he's taking a lot of money in, but the country's losing parts of itself, and he's the only one that's benefiting. That is not a formula. That is not a recipe to live a very long time. And he's going to keep doing this and keep pissing people off. Yeah, and I feel a little bit sorry for him, not only because he had 1,600 wives, but because... <laughs> that's a big reason. Yeah. You know, he's in this situation where he's got two enemies uh, staring him down, Frenemies, Russia and the British Empire. Exactly. There are there are testimonies by British eyewitnesses from the time that suggest the reason his dynasty hadn't been overthrown by his own people sooner was mm -hmm. that the British and the Russians wanted to keep him on the throne because yes. they could work with him. He, yeah. you know, now again, there's a lot of um, you know contemporary uh, lessons we can learn from this. You mm -hmm. want to have a corrupt guy that you can manipulate in yes. power in He's got a price. whatever country. Yeah. Yes. And you know yeah. what the price is and you've got <laughs> dirt on her or him. Right. Um, you, you can manipulate them to get what you want. You want to have someone you can – you want to have a puppet basically yeah. on the throne or in the, in the, the presidency, in the government of any country. You yeah. want to have as much dirt on as many people of that government as you can that you can threaten them with. Yeah. Now, the British were very good customers of his. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, they wanted to build a telegraph line across the country so they could um, get better information about uprisings that were happening in India. Right. And in 1857, mm -hmm. they bought a concession to build one across Iran but it wasn't just the British and the Russians, the French, the Germans, the Austrians all bought different wow. concessions. Yes. Uh, one of my favorites it was <laughs> one born, bought by uh, Paul Reuter, a.k.a. Baron Julius D. Reuter. He really? was a German-born British subject at this time, the guy who sure. started Reuter's news agency. <laughs> um, but before we get into that, Yes. And we're running out of time for this episode, but fun story, and you'll like this one because right. you'll be able to relate to it. Sure. Uh, Paul Reuter was born a Jew, sure. German Jew. Father right. was a rabbi. In 1845, aged around about 30, he converted to Christianity. 
Right. In order to marry the Christian daughter of a German banker. Love can conquer all. I've said that. You converted to get married too, didn't yes. you, Ray? You yes. had to convert? I converted to Catholicism to get to the royal snatch. Yes. I I, I kept the snatch and dropped the, the, the religion. So good for me. Choice between God <laughs> and pussy. You always go with the pussy. Well, you've taught me that pussy is my god. So yes, I worship at the temple of the pussy, <laughs> Chrissy's pussy, to be specific. Exactly. So he married in 18, for love. He converted. Yes. In 1872, the Shah signed a concession with Reuter. Yeah. Um, now, George Curzon, aka Lord Curzon, who right. we've spoken about in the past, he wrote. His magnum opus, Persia and the Persian Question, in 1892, mm. which is a tremendous read. I uh, read it this week. He'd spent a few years traveling through Russia, Central Asia, into China, Siam, Korea, and Iran, and he uh, wrote this book. He was he was sort of writing for the times. Uh, they mm-hmm. sort of commissioned him to write articles on what was going on. He ended up turning it into a book. But um, talking about the Reuter concession, this is what he wrote. When published to the world, it was found to contain the most complete and extraordinary surrender of the entire industrial resources of a kingdom into foreign hands that has probably ever been dreamed of, much less accomplished in history. Exclusives of the clauses referring to railroads and tramways, which conferred an absolute monopoly of both those undertakings upon Baron de Reuter for the space of 70 years. Wow. The concession also handed over to him the exclusive working for the same period of all Persian mines except those of gold, silver, and precious stones, Mm -hmm. the monopoly of the government forests, all uncultivated land being embraced under that designation, the exclusive construction of canals, canars, and irrigation works of every description, the first refusal of a national bank and of all future enterprises connected with the introduction of roads, telegraphs, mills, factories, workshops, and public works of every description, and a farm of the entire customs of the empire for a period of 25 years from March 1st, 1874, upon payment to the Shah of a stipulated sum for the first five years and of an additional 60% of the net revenue for the remaining 20 With respect to the other profits, 20% of those accruing from railways and 15% of those derived from all other sources were reserved for the Persian government. Jesus. So he runs the country. That Reuter literally owns Iran per this contract. Jesus. He's a god. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, immediately after this became known, it was denounced – by everyone across Persia, not to mention the Russians that were yeah. very upset no, about this. Not cool, this. dude. Not cool. Yeah, yeah. Never and the Shah, yeah. the Shah was forced to cancel the concession. Yes. Now, Reuter had put up £40,000 of risk money and had promised to come up with another $6 million. According to George Curzon, there was no fucking way he could raise that <laughs> amount of money in right. England. Because everyone knew it would upset both the Persians and the Russians, and everyone was like, "Yeah, this is yeah. this is a daft yeah. idea. We're not giving you this money. There's no way this is going to work out." Exactly. Fun fact: 
for yes. my fellow Queenslanders, one of Reuter's daughters married oh. Sir Herbert Chermside, a British mm-hmm. Army officer who served as Governor of Queensland from 1902 to 1904, and the biggest shopping centre in Brisbane and the suburb that it resides in is named after him, Chermside, and, uh, yeah, he was married oh, to one wow. of Reuter's uh, daughters. Now, yes, there's, there's a lot to this, though. Like, uh, it's easy to say, well, this was corrupt and the Shah shouldn't have sold off all the rights to all of these things. But right. I want to throw a different perspective out there. The Shah okay. knew that Iran was way behind the rest of the – well, the developed world in terms yes. of – education, in terms of uh, infrastructure, in mm-hmm. terms of modernity, their ability to, you know, build a modern country. Yeah. And I think one of his rationales, and this is part of the reformer in him as well, let's just bring in people who know how to do this shit and get them to do it for us. Yeah. Now, it's not that different from a Western uh, business, uh, let's say Halliburton, right? Um, going into a developing country today and say, "Listen, we'll build your railroads, we'll oh, build yeah. your, we got it. Uh, you know, your your communication systems, we'll build mm-hmm. your roads, we'll build your whatever infrastructure." Yeah. Uh, no one, no one bats an eyelid really today at right. governments bringing in, like in Australia. Uh, you know, we, we might bring in. Well, we, we you know we, we're buying submarines, nuclear submarines made by your country mm-hmm. at the Thank moment. You. Rather than building them ourselves, we go well. We'll just buy yours. Mm. So that's yeah. no different from you coming here and you know building our, right. our submarine, nuclear submarines for us. Yeah, but then I think the the um, the stink of nationalism was starting to rise because a lot of these people are going, "Hey, why are you bringing all these foreigners in? Why can't we do it?" Uh, he could explain it, but again, these people are just seeing that foreigners are taking over, foreigners are having control, and most importantly, the foreigners are financially benefiting far more than the locals are, and people are getting pissed. Yeah. Yeah, people were getting pissed because they saw it as selling off their assets to foreign powers for a, like for 70 years. It's a very long yes, time. A lot ridiculous. of money is going to be leaving the country. Yes, Anyway, it didn't stop there. Despite that concession having to be cancelled, the Shah didn't stop um, because, A, he wanted the money, and, B, um, he probably had a gun to his head uh, for a lot of this, uh, metaphorically, if not uh, literally. He doesn't have a lot of choices. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about the rest of the concessions that he sold off and what happened to him in the next episode. Descended across the continent. 